A very good Sunday morning to each and every one of you who joined us here on www.godsredeemed.org, the website of the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ, located here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We're at 2091 Pitts Lane and would invite you at your opportunity and your convenience to come and join us in worship. This morning we'll be worshiping God and partaking of the supper at 10.30 this morning. Please uh, look on the homepage of this website and uh, follow the guidelines uh, from CDC for uh, coming inside the building. You may also worship in your cars and uh, turn your radio dials to FM 106.3. We are studying in our class this semester uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, it was a letter written to uh, the church at Corinth, which uh, Paul had uh, helped to lay the foundation of, and he labored with them uh, for about a year and a half. Uh, and because some of the house of Chloe had uh, come to him and told him of some of the things that were uh, causing distress in the church, some of the things that were causing the church to uh, potentially, as noted in the book of Revelation, to lose their candlestick, possibly, unless they repented of these things. And so Paul writes concerning them. He also answers some questions to uh, a letter that they had written to him. Uh, and he addresses all of these things that has come to it that have come to his attention. Uh, and his desire for them is to correct those things and go back to what he had taught them before uh, about uh, the church, its love, its unity, uh, and its purpose. So today we're going to be finishing up our three-chapter study of spiritual gifts. You remember uh, back in chapter 12, uh, Paul noted that these spiritual gifts were given for a specific reason. They were to uh, build all who saw them up to also confirm uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the speaker as being one who was uh, preaching or teaching uh, in faith and in truth. And in chapter 13 that we uh, discussed last week, Paul uh, centered in on the thing that was lacking in their ministering of these uh, spiritual gifts. First of all, they were being selfish. Second of all, they were uh, trying to outdo each other as to who had the better gift. Uh, and the purpose of the gifts uh, were not... Uh, being fulfilled because they had no love. And so chapter 13, uh, we discussed uh, the love that needed to be there. And Paul described the 15 characteristics of love. And so let's just have a quick review before we get into chapter 14. That's going to be our point of interest and study uh, today. Chapter 13 is often called the love chapter, and it's taken out of context uh, in some cases, but Paul is simply saying to uh, the church at Corinth, without love, without true love, uh, 
no matter what gifts you have, whether it be the speaking of tongues or of prophecy or of healing, they're worthless. He said there in verses one through three, uh, they don't mean anything. They are not useful. And he also said that the attributes, those 15 things that we talked about of love, not being selfish, always looking out for the other person, uh, the attributes there evidence the superiority of love over the gift. And you may remember in our study, we said that they uh, really held the ability to speak in tongues in high regard, and they considered it the best gift. And they would often stand in various corners or stand up in the middle of uh, the congregation and begin talking in tongues without an interpreter, uh, but simply demonstrating their ability and their selfishness uh, in competing with one another. And so we're going to cover that again today when Paul talks about how they are to regulate these uh, gifts. The third thing we talked about in our discussion of love is that love endures. All of these spiritual gifts are going to vanish towards the end of the first century or maybe even the beginning of the second century. Once all revelation has been revealed, once the gospel of Jesus Christ is confirmed, then these are going to go away. And what's going to be left there, including now for us, uh, are three things, hope, faith, and love. And then once Christ comes and the end of these former things comes about, and we enter the period of eternity with God and eternal life with him, there will still remain love. So this is the thing Paul told them that they should uh, seek. And he picks up in chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 14 today, and the first few words there, he says, pursue love. And then we looked at these uh, uh, charts, which uh, kind of make it easy to understand that these were temporary gifts. There are no uh, spiritual gifts being performed now or since uh, the beginning of the second century. Uh, all prophecy has been uh, completed and revealed. We have uh, what God intended for us to have. And so there is no uh, further reason for these spiritual gifts. And we uh, examine this chart too about the things that exist now and in part uh, during Paul's time and in the future. Uh, those gifts of prophecy and tongues and words of knowledge which they held in high regard, uh, they're going to vanish away. Now they have vanished away and they don't exist. The only thing that remains for us to pursue is love, a building of our faith, and a strengthening of our hope in Jesus Christ. And so today, we are going to begin in chapter 14 with Paul uh, giving them uh, further guidance on how they're to regulate or how they're to minister properly uh, these spiritual gifts. So this is the third chapter that he spends uh, as man divides uh, the book into chapters. This is the third section in which he talks to them about their abuse of spiritual gifts. 
So as a way of introduction, uh, we looked at these uh, three chapters as sort of an introduction into uh, the spiritual gifts, why they were given, who they were given by, what they consisted of, and we talked of each of those things. Uh, and then we looked at love, which has to be there in order for them to be effective, in order for them to glorify God and to edify the saints. Uh, and then today we're going to uh, look at the regulation of these things. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there to uh, chapter 14. <coughs> Pardon me. We are uh, coming to the end of our uh, quarter here. Our uh, Yes, our quarter. And uh, so we've got about three more weeks and we're going to spend those, uh, if God gives us the time, in concluding uh, Paul's first letter to them and then have a review over the uh, entire semester. So if you have questions, uh, be sending those in. If you have some points that you didn't understand or things you would like to study uh, further or review further, uh, please let me know and we'll uh, make that happen. Well, this chapter talks about regulation and what Paul says are there are two things uh, that need to be said about uh, spiritual gifts. One is tongue speaking and the other one uh, is prophecy. But he says the superiority of prophecy is better than tongue speaking. Now he's not saying, uh, of course, there's no need for tongue speaking. There was, and there, as you remember, Corinth was a city of trade. There were people coming uh, to that little isthmus, uh, that little southern part of Greece, uh, on ships, they were passing in and out. They spoke different languages. Uh, but we're going to look at why the uh, gift of prophecy is more important. And then we're going to look at, uh, in the last part of this chapter, uh, regulations pertaining to the use of the gifts in their public worship. Uh, we're going to see today this idea of a maniacal worship, one without order, one without decency, uh, one of competition and selfishness, and one where uh, very little, if any, edifying is going on. And so Paul is going to talk to them uh, about things that are going to go away. Uh, but until they do go away, Paul sees a need to teach them and to warn them. Uh, that until they do end, until all revelation is given, they need to know how to use these uh, spiritual gifts and to use them properly uh, in the public worship. Well, when we look at the superiority of prophecy to uh, tongue speaking, Paul says that prophecy should be preferred above tongue speaking because it edifies the church. In other words, these revelations of prophecy, uh, these confirmation of those things that were in part, people were given this ability so that they could stand in the, in the congregation and they could speak these things that, was re, that were revealed unto them, and it would build up the church. And they needed to do this uh, orderly and decently 
uh, not in the commotion that they were creating in the congregation now. Uh, it reminds them to pursue love in all that they do uh, as they exercise whatever spiritual gift uh, it needs to be for the love of the church, for the love of the one who gave it, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus. It needs to be effective. And so prophecy, uh, Paul says, is to be preferred among uh, above tongue speaking. And the reason, he says, is because it edifies the whole congregation. If you have someone doing uh, something over here, speaking in a language, and someone over here uh, with great faith, miraculous faith, and other things, and they're all competing against each other. No one is edified. But when things slow down and we see this gift of prophecy uh, being for the gift uh, to edify the whole church, then people can hear and they can uh, hear the uh, revelation. They can think about that and they can test the speaker. Uh, the man who speaks in a tongue uh, is not speaking to men because uh, all men may not understand what he's saying. So he's speaking to the one that he's uh, speaking the same language uh, and he's speaking to God. He's not edifying the congregation. He's edifying uh, perhaps himself and uh, the one to whom he's speaking. Uh, but he's only communicating with God, Paul says. He doesn't uh, look down on tongue speaking, but he says it's not one of those things that is as important as, as it is for those of the whole congregation uh, speaking the same language or having an interpreter present for those who don't speak that language to be able to hear and understand revelation or to uh, understand these mysteries that the speaker uh, is giving to them. In, in contrast, uh, the prophet speaks to men in such a way as to edify and to exhort, to comfort there in verse 3. The tongue speaker edifies only himself, but the prophet edifies the whole congregation, verse 4. And so for this reason, Paul says it's better uh, that men prophesy. However, if the tongues are interpreted so that the congregation can understand, then people are edified. But things have to be put in perspective. These gifts are not for me. They are for me to use to edify the congregation, to build up the listeners. And he talks about that in verse 5. Well, he also says there's a necessity of revelation being understood. There are a, a lot of people today, for instance, who read the revelation of Jesus Christ and uh, don't understand because they haven't uh, a background in understanding this type of literature, uh, this style that was written uh, in uh, the same way that Ezekiel and Daniel and others were written, but they don't understand uh, what is being told. And so they get uh, on a road that is taking them to nowhere, such as premillennialism, such as thousand-year reigns, such as uh, being able to know when Christ is coming. But Paul uses a few uh, examples that they would know and they would understand uh, to talk about the necessity of those who are giving revelation 
uh, to be understood either grammatically or by language or to understand uh, in uh, understanding uh, what is being revealed. And so he says that even uh, musical instruments play a distinctive melody uh, in order for men to appreciate them. I, I appreciate a good symphony. I appreciate good music. I don't like clatter. I don't like music that just seems uh, so disorganized and so noisy. And I mean noise, not music. Uh, but in order for us to appreciate them, everything has to be in harmony, doesn't it? Uh, we, we've often talked about the orchestra leader, the conductor who stands before uh, his orchestra, and everyone has the piece of music there to play. And they don't suddenly on a whim decide to play something else. They all play in unison, they all play in harmony. And in order for it to be appreciated, then uh, everybody has to be uh, doing their part. Secondly, he said the trumpet, and this is talking about the uh, battle trumpets that were used in those days, even back in the Old Testament, they had to know uh, what the trumpet was saying in order to go into battle. And it's the same way for uh, today's military, though we don't, under, uh, we don't use uh, these in combat. If you were to spend the night on an army post, uh, if you were to go to Fort Campbell or Fort Knox or wherever, uh, there's a military base close to you and you were to check into the guest house uh, and you were to listen closely at different hours of the day, uh, you would hear a bugle call played to uh, say, wake up. And uh, you'd hear a bugle call to get ready, prepare yourself for the day. Uh, you'd hear a bugle call to go and eat breakfast. You'd hear a bugle call uh, for uh, work. You'd hear a bugle call for uh, mail, to go get your mail, and all through the day, concluding with taps at night. And so the trumpeter has to know uh, certain notes. If he doesn't, uh, then everybody's going to be confused. Well, where am I supposed to go and what am I supposed to do? Well, <clears throat> the same thing is given to people who kind of uh, don't speak <clears throat> so that they're understood. Have you ever heard those uh, or tried to hear them? Those who uh, may mumble, uh, those who may uh, not be able to pronounce certain words. Uh, and so someone who even is speaking gibberish as uh, the Pentecostals and others do when they say uh, they're able to speak in tongues, they're simply babbling and repeating certain phrases over and over. Well, according to verse 9 of chapter 14, Paul says they're just talking to the air. Remember the boxer who was just beating the air? Well, these people that don't speak plainly, these people that are uh, trying to out-talk each other. They're just talking to the air. There's no edification going on. But there are many different kinds of languages, as we know. If you study a language and you learn to speak another language other than English, no matter what language uh, you're learning, uh, all of them convey thought. In other words, those words mean something. Those words, when put into a phrase, may mean two or three different things. 
but all of them uh, convey thought and understanding. And so we are able to speak a language when we can not only speak them, but we can understand what we're saying. And the other person can understand what we're saying. <clears throat> but now if somebody doesn't understand the language being spoken, Paul says that uh, they're like a barbarian to him in verse 11. If we don't speak the language, they're just uh, speaking like some sort of uh, foreigner, we might say. Speakers in the assembly need to speak, Paul says, to be understood. These spiritual gifts are not for your promotion, not for your uh, selfish uses. They're to edify the congregation, and they need to edify. If no one can understand what you're saying, or no one can hear what you're saying, there's not much uh, getting done. And Paul says in verse uh, 13 that you need to pray if you have this gift of tongue speaking, uh, that you may interpret the tongue, or someone may interpret for you. If he prays in a tongue that uh, no one understands, uh, he may be uh, he may gain something by knowing that God hears him, but nobody else understands. Nobody in the church understands what's been revealed, and therefore they're not uh, benefited by anything. Verse 15. Paul had the remedy for this. If you're going to pray, Paul says, I'm going to pray with the spirit and with the understanding. Do you understand what you're what you're uh, talking to God about when you pray? Or is it uh, so redundant and uh, so pattern filled that you just kind of go through a prayer and get to the amen and poof, you're either ready to eat or uh, you're ready to go to bed. Paul says you need to pray with the Spirit. You're talking to God, the Creator, the Almighty, ever-present, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And you need to understand that. Pray with the Spirit, thinking about, first of all, what you're going to say. Think about what you're saying. And think about what you said to God with full understanding. And he also says for those who uh, had a song or a psalm and, and would stand up and sing, then someone else would stand up and sing. He says, I'm going to sing with the spirit and understanding too. I'm going to know what I'm singing. I'm going to understand what I'm singing. And I'm going to sing with the understanding that I'm praising God, that I'm edifying my brothers and sisters, that I am teaching my brothers and sisters. So we need to understand also that when we sing, when we go together to, to praise God together in the public assembly, we need to understand what we're singing about. And we need to sing with the spirit of understanding that, yes, this is my petition to God. This is my praise to God. This is my song on my heart. And so the question Paul asks here uh, unless everybody understands <clears throat> what you're praying, how can anybody say amen? Amen means uh, so be it or let it be. Do you ever say amen and you have no idea what the person who just prayed said because your mind's been on something else far away? 
that your mind's been on what you're going to have for uh, lunch or supper or whatever, but it wasn't on the prayer. That's why Paul says to us and to the church here, when you're praying to God, either in public prayer, in worship, or whether someone is leading a prayer, you need to be there in spirit and you need to be there in understanding or else you can't say truthfully, amen, at the end of that prayer, verse 16. You can be expressing all the thanks to God that you can, but if it's not understood, if it is not proper, nobody's uh, edified by it because they don't understand it. And so in verse 17, he makes it clear that we have an obligation that in the public assembly, whether we preach, whether we teach, whether we pray, whether we lead singing, whether we sing, take part in the prayer, take part in the supper, whatever it is we do, the spirit and understanding has to go along with it. In verse 18, Paul confirms that he's not poo-pooing uh, foreign languages, for if anybody could speak languages more than anybody, it was Paul. But he says this interesting thing, and I like this. However, in the assembly, <clears throat> he said, I'd rather speak five words that the audience could understand than thousands of words that no one could understand. Now, what he's saying is that you shouldn't get up and just be quick about things and uh, when, when there are more things you need to say as far as revelation or prophecy. Uh, but what he's saying is, it is better to speak five words. God is love. He is risen. God is truth. Let your light so shine. There are a lot of five phrase sermons or five song, uh, word lessons we could teach, aren't there? But that's not what he's, he's saying. We shouldn't limit uh, and be brief all the time with our uh, speaking. But he said, I'd rather just be able to speak five words than to be able to speak a thousand words that nobody would ever understand. Verse 19. And so we need to be careful. He tells them in verse 20 that they need to act like children with regard to malice. And here's this thought that children... Uh, and you've watched them, those of you who are parents or those of you who may be teachers. Uh, you see kids get in some of the awfulest fights and they're crying and uh, they're running to mama or daddy and uh, they don't like Johnny or Mary anymore. And about 30 minutes later, they're out on the back porch and they're drinking lemonade and they're sharing cookies and they're the best of friends again. Paul says that's how you need to be, not this selfish uh, competition that's going on it. But as far as uh, understanding, you need to act like men. As far as teaching, as far as hearing and seeking, that's what you need to do. Paul also goes on to say uh, that the impact uh, of uninterpreted tongues has an effect on uh, those who may come to your assembly. I always enjoy seeing visitors to our congregation, and I know that you do too. I used to, and I still do, uh, I was so overjoyed when there were so many, uh, and I say used to because we don't do that now because of the virus, but back when I was a little boy and even uh, now going to other congregations uh, in the summertime and the spring and uh, 
the fall to gospel meetings and seeing people you hadn't seen uh, for years, maybe, or hadn't seen uh, in a long time. And you heard different preachers preach and you studied different things. And it was a it was a grand occasion for a little boy that kept that in his heart until today. It is a grand thing to share worship with other Christians. But now, what if you were a visitor uh, to the church at Corinth and you come in and there are somebody over there in the corner speaking German. Here's somebody back in this corner speaking Swahili. <clears throat> There's somebody uh, in the center of the congregation, all of a sudden they stand up and they start speaking French and you've got people talking uh, in different languages all over and they're talking on top of each other. Paul says, uh, you'd think this was a madhouse. Uh, he quotes Isaiah 28 verses 11 through 12 to show that tongues are not for believers, but for unbelievers. The tongue is for those uh, who have not heard the gospel, who cannot uh, speak the language. And so it is given to them in their language, uh, just as it was in Acts 2. And Paul says, for by, and this is uh, Isaiah 28, 11 and verse 12, for by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people, to whom he said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose. But yet they wouldn't hear. God's children wouldn't listen to him. God's children paid no heed to his uh, warnings, to his commandments, to his instructions. And so what did he say? Well, I'm going to let the Assyrians uh, teach them. Maybe they can uh, make it clear. And so when we get hard-hearted, when we uh, think we know much more than God does, when we take things that he has given us for his glory, for his exaltation, for the love of each other to teach the gospel, to teach the gospel to our neighbors, to teach the gospel to uh, wherever we may have opportunity, God may send a judgment upon us that if we fail as a nation to hear, uh, he may bring in someone to teach us a little harder. The same with the church. If we begin changing what God has said, if we beginning, uh, begin putting man's wisdom where God has spoken, then he will speak to us in other ways that we may not like. And so <clears throat> Paul concludes here uh, that tongues are a sign for unbelievers and prophecy is for believers. So these tongues are to use to teach those who have not heard the gospel that they may understand. But prophecy, teaching, and revelation is for those who believe, he says in verse 22. And, you know, it is uh, fun for me sometimes. I've been able to use the languages that I speak, uh, even though, again, I'm not uh, uh, a know-it-all in, <laughs> in any language. I can barely get through English on some days, uh, but it is, a, it is wonderful to talk to people who cannot speak English in their language and to tell them of God. <coughs> uh, 
But Paul says if it gets out of hand and then you use these for your own self-promotion, uh, then it becomes uh, madness. If a person comes into your assembly, now Paul gives another example. Someone comes into your assembly and here is someone who has a revelation and he's speaking and everyone is listening. Or if there is someone over here, a group over here who have come by ship into Corinth and they don't speak English and a brother is working with them speaking a language with the interpreter for the ones who do speak this language, then everyone is, is edified. It would be orderly. And that's what we would expect. When we go into a worship service, we like for everything to be uh, decent and in order, regardless of the, of the order of it, regardless of whether we start off with uh, Bible class and then work our way into a period of singing and then work our way into the uh, fellowship of the table and then we uh, do this or do that and throughout the service one person uh, leads and exhorts and edifies the rest of the congregation uh, then would say this is a pleasant place to be I can understand Paul finishes the chapter as we get close to the end by talking about these uh, regulations on how to use them in public, how to stop being a madhouse, and how to be a disciplined, uh, well-edifying, well-understood, loved of God, strong candlestick. And from verses 26 through 40, uh, this is going to be our area of concentration now and study. How are they supposed to do that? Well, I've already given you a hint. Uh, first of all, everything in the assembly has to be done for edification. That's why we're there. Why do you attend church services on Sunday morning? Do you go to be noticed? Do you go to show off your new car? Do you go to show off your new hat? Uh, do you go just because uh, so-and-so, a very notable person, uh, in the city or state or country goes there, and I want to be associated with him. No, we go to be edified. We go to build up, I hope. We go to hear a portion of God's word read into our ear, to be studied. We go to be edified in singing, singing songs, teaching and admonishing one another. We go to pray together, to petition for the needs of the church, for the needs of the members of the congregation, for the spread of the gospel. And we go to greet each other. We go to fellowship with one another. And all of that has to be done with edification in mind. Edification, simply a fancy schmancy word uh, to mean we're building each other up. If there's a crack in my brother, I'm going to help him seal it up. If a window needs to be repaired, I'm going to help him fix it. If the foundation uh, is a little weak, I'm going to strengthen that for him. And so in the exercise of these uh, various gifts, the guiding principle is that everything should be done for building up each other. You see, that takes uh, me out of the picture as being selfish. 
but it puts me in the picture as one who is a worker, one who is a builder, one who esteems others more highly uh, than myself. And so everything that we do needs to be done for edification. You know, uh, the congregation I attend, we have some great teachers. We have some great men, both young and old, who are able to uh, deliver a, a sermon of thought and uh, to provoke our minds to be better, uh, to encourage us. We have some who are able to speak foreign languages, Spanish and uh, other languages to teach those in the area. Uh, and so we have people who do a lot of different things, good song leaders, good prayer leaders, uh, good ushers, good bulletin article writers, all sorts of things to uh, build us up. But even uh, if one comes with his revelation and another may co come with his psalm or his song, uh, <clears throat> each needs to give way to the other so that it's done decently in order. Now, some have uh, used this chapter uh, to talk about solos uh, being acceptable uh, in church pattern. We are to sing. We are to sing with our hearts and with our minds. We are to sing uh, to teach and to edify uh, with these voices that God created in us to uh, praise him, to exalt him, and to teach him. Uh, these spiritual gifts were uh, enabled uh, to give some who uh, sang uh, to be able to sing under divine inspiration in verse 15. But to use these special circumstances as divine authority for uninspired solos, I think they missed the mark. And the text is not talking about one person getting up and, and uh, singing only in a congregation in public meeting. It's not talking about uh, one taking over the service, but that's what was going on in, in uh, Corinth. There was one that had a psalm and he was singing and someone else said, well, I can sing better than that. I want to get up and sing my song. And you got two or three songs and going back to Paul's example of music, it's not music anymore. It's noise. It's a clanging cymbal, a banging gong. And so I just want to look at this very briefly uh, because solo singing for those who uh, may believe that this is acceptable, uh, it has several dangers in it. And the first of all is that the singer uh, who sings solo for a congregation uh, is there to display his superior ability. Now, why did we pick brother so-and-so to sing? Well, he's got such a superior voice. He's got a great voice. And let's, him, let's hear him sing for uh, us to listen to and to watch how he does it. Well, that's not what singing in public worship is. It's all of us together <coughs> singing with one heart and one voice uh, to God. Secondly, uh, the ones who aren't singing, uh, the audience, they're just watching worship. They're not participating in it. They're not necessarily built up oh they may enjoy hearing this music a lot of uh, a lot of us enjoy listening to uh, uh, hymns and spiritual songs on our cds or in our car uh, players and that's not what he's talking about he's talking about here in the public assembly 
where we have one doing all the work and the other is just simply sitting back and being entertained. The third uh, danger of solo singing is there becomes rivalry as there was here. Do you understand that there were all sorts of spiritual gifts that were being soloed? But soon people became jealous and people became uh, ready to use theirs regardless of the order. And so we need to be careful in allowing these solos in uh, worship. Public worship is for the entire congregation. That's who Paul is talking about here. Uh, that's the big letters here that Paul has written. It's for the edification of all. That's why the Holy Spirit gifts were given. That's why we sing. All of us sing. That's why all of us uh, pray as the one who's leading us in those things we ought to pray for uh, with the spirit and understanding. And so uh, a lot of people have uh, avoided uh, solos because it leads to problems and it doesn't edify the whole congregation. And so we need to be careful. I just wanted to mention that as we're studying this, lest someone uh, be confused and think that Paul is saying it's okay for us to have uh, solo uh, singers in, the, in uh, the worship. He also gives uh, the regulations for tongue speakers here in verses 27 and 28. These rules were to apply to those. First, only two or three tongue speakers could speak in any assembly. That means if you met for an hour, uh, they were only going to uh, be allowed two or three tongue speakers, and they were to speak in turn. They were not supposed to speak at the same time. They were supposed to speak, Paul says, by course or in turn. So why? They could be understood so that things would be in order. Thirdly, uh, if you're having someone who's speaking German, you need someone who understands and speaks German to tell everybody else what you're saying. And that goes without uh, too much debate. We want to know, we want to be edified by what you're saying in French or German or Korean or whatever language. And so someone who knows and is proficient or who has this Holy Spirit gift needs to tell us what you're saying. Fourthly, if you don't have an interpreter, if there's someone who hasn't had this gift of interpretation, uh, then don't get up and speak in another language. That's the fallacy of those who claim to speak in tongues today, uh, the Pentecostals and uh, the other denominations. Often, in fact, I've never seen an interpreter present to say what this person uh, rolling on the ground was saying, but I've listened very close to understand that it was uh, simply babble and they were indeed uh, speaking to the air. So tongue speakers, you need to speak one at a time. You need to make sure somebody's there to interpret what you're saying. And if there's nobody there, then you need to just be quiet. Now he's going to talk about the regulations for those who prophesy, verses 29 through 33. And he gives them 
<coughs> these rules as well. If you prophesy, only two or three prophets could speak in any assembly. So if you were meeting for an hour to worship God, uh, only two or three prophets could speak in any assembly. They were to speak one at a time. While they were speaking, the others or those who are in the congregation need to discern the spirits. Is what they're saying truly of God? If it differentiates from what God has said, if it differentiates from what Jesus has said, if it tells them to follow another God, if it tells them to do something that God said don't do, then they're not of God and they need to be silenced and corrected. The third thing is, if another person received a revelation while the prophet was speaking, now listen, if I'm up giving my re uh, revelation and then uh, my brother over here, all of a sudden he gets a revelation, uh, I need to stop what I'm doing and let him stand up and give his revelation. Well, that's quite different from what they were doing, isn't it? If my brother over here had a revelation, he'd stand up while I'm speaking and he'd start speaking. Paul said that's not the way to do it. Someone is speaking and another uh, one who has the gift of prophecy has a revelation. Then he should be allowed to stand up, give his revelation, sit down and let the former speaker speak. But only two or three of these uh, per assembly. Fourthly, <clears throat> they need to speak in turn so that everyone else in the audience can be built up and receive the benefit of the prophecy. To answer any objection uh, that anybody might make, and they had made objections to Paul not coming to them personally, and Paul reminded them uh, that he was going to come to them and he was going to say the same things uh, to them, whether he was there or whether he wasn't. But he reminded the Corinthians that the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. That is, they are not to burst out in some uncontrollable prophecy uh, that cannot be understood, would be babbling and beating the air, because God is not a God of confusion. If everyone were to be giving a prophecy, if I was speaking and had a prophecy, my brother had a sudden revelation, and he stood up and started speaking, and while he and I were speaking, someone else did the same thing. It would be confusion. Our assembly would not be godly. Our assembly would not be uh, acceptable to God. And then as we look at the role of women in the assembly, we had begun talking uh, in chapter 7 about some of these women who refused to or were taking off the veil, taking off the covering as they came in, uh, who had been gifted with Holy Spirit uh, gifts, <coughs> they were not in submission. The veil was a symbol of submission throughout the week, and they chose the first day of the week not to wear them. And so that what they were saying was that they were no longer in submission. And so Paul addresses that. They should keep silence in the assembly in verse 34 uh, because they're not permitted to speak. Uh, they, Even though they may have had some uh, Holy Spirit gifts, whether they had the veil on or the veil off, 
uh, which was what many of them thought. If I take off the veil, then I can speak in the assembly. Well, that's not true. Uh, they're under obedience or they're in subjection. Uh, Paul says the law says that. He appeals to the teaching of the Old Testament uh, to reinforce uh, what he just said. And he uh, look there in verses 8 and 9 of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 11. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man, and neither was man created for woman, but woman was created for man. And then Paul, as he talked to Timothy in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, beginning there in verse 11, he says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. He's talking about in the public assembly. He's not talking about in the classroom where questions are asked. Women are free to answer questions in a, in a class. Uh, I have been in congregations where women would not speak at all. And uh, although uh, I would not say anything to them as uh, being uh, evil or, or good, uh, it was their conscience. And so therefore, uh, I didn't provoke them to that. But there are those who believe that even in a class or even in a home Bible study or other places, a woman can't speak. But a woman, whether she's married or not married, needs sometimes to ask questions and to be answered. So here he's talking about <coughs> in the public assembly after the class and the entire congregation is together to worship God. She, in verse 12 of that uh, chapter, says so she's to remain quiet. For Adam was first formed and then Eve, and Adam wasn't deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so it was because of her tempting of man that she became submissive to man, became under his uh, subjection as a result of leading Adam into sin. Now again, uh, God didn't put her into slavery but he put the man in the lead role to love his wife, uh, to oversee her uh, to, uh, together to raise godly children and to form a uh, lasting, uh, productive marriage. Woman is not a slave. Woman is nothing least in the assembly. For both Old Testament and New Testament is complete with uh, so many women who did great things and taught great things, and said great things. Look at Lydia and others. But it's simply saying, in the assembly, uh, let the women keep quiet, uh, not disrupting the assembly with questions or some of their Holy Spirit gifts there. In verse 35, he says, for the married women, those who are married, if you've got something you don't understand, ask your husband. That puts the leadership role on the husband, doesn't it? Their speaking in the assembly, he says, is shameful. <coughs> and so, <clears throat> as he concludes this section, he reminds uh, the brethren at Corinth that uh, the gospel didn't originate there at Corinth. It came to them. Paul brought it to them. And it did not go out from them to others. In verse 36, it was faithful men who were preaching the gospel. And they needed to understand that if any man is truly spiritual, he would recognize that what Paul had 
uh, taught them in those 18 months. And what he was writing now was the revealed word of God. Verse 38, he says, if anybody doesn't recognize this, he's not recognized. Now, if any of you have the New American Standard Bible or the Revised Standard Version, some of the newer uh, versions, uh, the translation of this particular uh, phrase is uh, to the point, and I think better uh, perhaps than uh, the English Standard or the King James. But it simply says, chapter 14, verse 38, But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. You ever use that? If anybody is going to be stupid, let, just let him stay stupid. I'm not going to uh, say anything else to him. So what he's saying there is if you don't believe that all of this is by uh, revelation of the Holy Spirit from the mind of God, then you'll just have to stay ignorant. There's no more revelation. There's no more teaching uh, to be uh, given than what Paul is revealing and others are revealing by uh, these Holy Spirit gifts. And so in this chapter, uh, he doesn't forbid uh, tongue speaking, but he says, we ought to uh, prefer prophecy because that uh, builds everyone up. That's for the good of everyone. That's to make everyone a stronger Christian, even a weaker brother who we talked about before to become stronger and a strong brother to become more humble, to become meek. And his final statement is uh, simply that in the public assembly, everything needs to be in order. It needs to be decent. It needs to be simple. He says in verse 39, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and don't for forbid speaking in tongues. But both of these have to be done uh, with the regulations of the Holy Spirit gifts by Paul from the Holy Spirit and from God. And in verse 40, he closes by saying, but all things should be done decently and in order. How are our assemblies? Are we doing everything decently? Are we doing them in order? And for the sole purpose in our assembly of glorifying God, pleasing God by building each one up in the word, in song, in prayer, in fellowship, and in all of the things that we should be assembling for, rather than the self, rather than for pride, rather than ego. Well, we're at the end of the lesson, as the slide says, and I appreciate you listening today. We're going to be in chapter 15, God willing, uh, next Sunday, and I hope you'll join us here again uh, for our further study of the book of 1 Corinthians. Thank you for tuning in. Send us your questions, and God bless you.